0: shorter sleep shorter life
1: welcome to the brain tools podcast where you're going to learn how your brain works and how you can use it to level up your life it's practical brain science for everyday people I'm your co-host Sam, a self-professed neuroscience nerd on a mission to share brain science with the world in words everyone can understand.
0: And I'm Kieran, and I specialize in neuroscience at university and now run a metacognition education startup in Asia. Each episode, you'll walk away with six practical brain tools that you can use immediately. No fluff, just the good stuff with a side of banter.
1: Plus, grab our show notes, the research, and tons of other free resources, including guides and classes, just by joining our growing Braintools community at braintools.mn.co. Best of all, it's totally free, but for now, the Braintools podcast. Hey guys, and welcome. Welcome to the very first episode of this podcast, which doesn't have a name yet, but we are working on it. Uh, I'm Sam. This is your co-host, Kieran. Say hey to everyone, Kieran.
0: G'day, guys. How's it going? Happy to be here.
1: Happy to be here. We're really excited. Uh, first episode of the installment where we're going to be teaching you how to use your brain. We're going to teach you practical neuroscience um, and in a way that you can actually use rather than just mumbo jumbo and scientific literature. I know I'm excited. How are you feeling, Kieran? Let's get some, get some vibes going.
0: Mate, I'm buzzing. Um, I'm buzzing also though, because we've we've spoken about this for a while. And for those uh, listening in, one of the things we sort of identified was, there's so much stuff out there, brain science, neuroscience, but how do you actually understand what people are saying? And so what Sam and I are bloody pumped to do um, is to bring that to you so that we're all on the same page and we can actually use it to make our lives a little bit better.
1: Yeah, that's it. So it's all about being that uh, practical, you know? So many people like to give airy-fairy bits of information or dense scientific information, like uh, for the listener at home, for you listening right now, friends, you don't, you don't really care too much about that. You just want it to improve your life. And so that's what, that's what we're here for. Um, we do have a, a quick disclaimer. We have a couple of different names that we're going to throw out throughout the podcast. And we want to hear from you which one you like best. So listen up for those. Going to chuck those out. But today, today we're talking about uh, a topic I'm super stoked about. What are we, what are we talking about, Kiri? Give us a a cheeky little intro.
0: (laughs) We're talking about sleep, uh, especially given current climate. Coming out of COVID-19, a lot of people still in lockdown. You and I have spoken about this. um, And literally, you've got to come to sleep, where there's work and home environments merged into one. Sleep becomes so, so, so crucial for a number of reasons we're going to be talking about today. But on a personal front, mate, if I can level with you, I'm just not sleeping very well at the moment. Like, I'm really, really struggling. I got maybe six hours last night, during the week, four to five hours. And I'm, you know when you're feeling the pinch? I'm feeling it right now, so I'm, I'm really glad that we're doing it, because it's gonna help me solve my problem.
1: <laughs> oh, 100%, feeling that squeeze. I, I remember when we started talking about this, I said, there's a hidden pandemic right now, and it's chronic sleep deprivation. And I know, because I've been sleeping like, just rubbish, barely five or six hours, going to my morning meetings with my team. Uh, I look like I'd had 30 drinks the night before. And, you know, it was because I wasn't sleeping. And it's a problem. When we're working from home, routines are disruptive.
0: Mate, you're lying. You obviously did have 30 drinks at night. Don't don't lie. <laughs> I
1: you might have had 20, 20 night Give or take. <laughs> give or take. Um, but, yeah, the, the big one is that sleep deprivation is a big thing. And so keep tuned because later on we're going to talk about some really practical Implementable advice that you can go and use like right away as soon as you finish listening. But before we do that, there's there's got to be a reason we sleep, and not many people know this. But Kieran and I, we decided we'd go out and, and we find out a little bit about it. Well, Why do we sleep? Why do we sleep? Uh, I'm really sorry to
0: everyone here, but it blows my mind. When I was actually looking at this, we still don't actually know why we sleep which blows my mind when you think about it, right? If we are fortunate enough to live 80 years, fingers crossed, we get that. Um, an Asian diabetic doesn't bone well, but we'll try. Well, if we get to 80 years, we're gonna spend about 30 to 35 years sleeping. And to think that we don't have like the silver bullet reason as to why we sleep baffles me, mate. Right? because I'm, I'm sitting there thinking 30, 40% of the life, it has to be important. It's always really something of why we actually, we do it. And when I, when we delved into it, there was just no real core cool reasons. And I, I don't know about you, but it almost is, it feels as if sleep is devalued. You know, Margaret Thatcher saying, you know, sleep when you're dead. Um, people like Silicon Valley, that whole vibe, if you don't actually go, you know, do 100-hour weeks, then you're not doing the right thing. Um, the whole why behind sleep hasn't actually been uncovered, yet there are some hypotheses around that. Sammy, can I share with you some of those?
1: Look, I would, I would love for you to share some with me and some with, uh, more importantly, the listeners. Tell, tell us, Kieran, why do we, why do we sleep? What's the hypothesis?
0: Yeah. So three reasons, (laughs) apparently. And these aren't even proven, to be honest with you. And we've only found out a lot about the brain in the last 100 100 years, give or take, let alone sleep, which has probably been the past 15, 20 years. I've got three hypotheses for you I'm going to throw at you and the listeners. Hypothesis number one is restoration, is physical and mental restoration. And that kind of makes sense, right? You know, like when you play Pokemon, you go to the Pokemon Center, and they all like, you know... Boop, 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 and they're back and they're restored. It's that whole idea where the brain gets rid of a lot of wastes and toxins, um, which obviously linked with the idea of Alzheimer's. And that's the first one. And that intuitively makes sense. but it's not the entire reason why. The second one um, was actually to do with energy, metabolic health. Um, and the whole idea around this hypothesis was when you don't get a lot of sleep, there's a lot of links with cardiovascular disease, diabetes, a lot of things that obviously aren't great. And that was the second one. That doesn't have a lot of weight to it compared to the first one, but it was thrown out there. And the third one, which I know you like, my friend. Go um, on, give is, me the third is learning, one. It's learning and memory. It's learning and yes, memory. the whole idea of consolidating your long-term memories and making sure that from the previous day you're consolidating the important stuff. And that's a whole idea of what we call long-term potentiation and long-term depression, where the brain literally prioritizes the most important stuff um, to consolidate.
1: And, and I think you're actually understanding it. We're going to come to how you can use that a little bit later on because it's super powerful. It is a great way to really etch into your brain with permanent marker rather than pencil, some of those learnings, and it's really, really cool. But there is, there is a bit of a dark side to sleep. And I'm not talking about when you turn that light off and it, and it goes dark. I'm talking about what happens when you just don't get enough sleep. And we all know this, right? You've had those nights where you've had four or five hours sleep, you wake up the next day, your brain's foggy, you can barely think, like your motivation just falls through the floor. Start doing stupid things like eating 10 bars of chocolate because you have no self-control. Um, and there's there's actually a couple of reasons for this that I'm really, really excited to to start covering in our next section where we talk about the problem with sleep loss. Sleep loss. Sleep loss is uh. It's a a bad thing. It's a bad thing, Kieran.
0: It's not great. Look, I'm going to give you a blanket statement here. Uh, And a lot of the research that we have done uh, for all the listeners out there, you will put them in the show notes so you can obviously have a look at it as well. But my blanket statement for you here is this. Shorter sleep, shorter life. I'm going to repeat that. Shorter sleep, shorter life. Have And by the way, Chernobyl, have you watched that HBO series before, Chernobyl?
1: I, I haven't seen it yet. I have been teased, but I haven't You seen suck. It. Tell me about it.
0: <laughs> so basically, obviously, with Chernobyl, which is the nuclear reactor and breakdown. The only thing yeah. I want to mention about it: one, thrilling series. Please watch. Uh, number two, though, is one of the main things that wasn't spoken about, but was in the report, uh, the After Action Review report, as to why it all happened. Sleep deprivation was one of the major issues, but it didn't get a lot of runtime because as we get a lack of sleep and sleep deprivation occurs over a period of time, our decision making sucks it gets so much worse our mental and physical performance decreases exponentially and that was one of the reasons why the meltdown happened but people don't really talk about it you're saying sleep deprivation actually contributed to
1: what happened church you know
0: yep boom boom shake the room that's the reason why or well, one of the, the reasons
1: because <laughs> because some bloke on the controls only had four hours of sleep the night before Yeah, it's 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 crazy like and that's the thing
0: that we we, we like as we said we intuitively feel it right like over the past couple of days i yeah. not getting a lot of sleep i'm foggy um i can't get up i'm everything feels a lot harder than it isn't because it is harder because i'm not not attuned in um and it's so nuts to think mate that who which uh the world health organization which has copped a bit of heat recently for all things COVID 19 let's be honest but okay. they did come out and say night shift work is night shift work obviously people don't necessarily have a lot of sleep and they work at the, the wrong time, so to speak, is actually considered a carcinogen. Shift work, a carcinogen now. So, so if a lot of shift
1: work leads to cancer. Literally yep. sleep deprivation leads to cancer.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna hedge here and say correlation, not causation, because I know some listeners will come in and say, right, Hey, Karen, it's yeah. not causing Everyone
1: hold but there's here such a that. strong link. Kieran, Kieran just switched to where I to get. It's, I mean, you're so right. And also, there's this concept that like, sleep loss is basically brain drain. And I'm going to give you a quick study in a story format. So listen to this, uh, everyone listening right now. They did a study where they took an A student, and they scored in the top 10% of everything they did, top 10%. When she got just six hours sleep during one week, her score started to bottom to the bottom 9%. She went from the top percent, 10 percent, to the bottom 9 percent just by missing two hours sleep every night of the week. So like what the researchers uh, essentially were talking about is the fact that sleep loss is cumulative and adds up. And by the end of the week, this A student was an F student who couldn't even see straight, which is crazy, crazy research, right? That's actually insane,
0: mate. When when you really think about it, because you know my field, I work in education, and to think that. We're talking about improving student performance, always, of how they get better results in exams. And that's time for another story. Um, For the listeners, we're going to talk about education in a future episode, because Sam and I hold some uh, strong, but we think reasonable opinions about it. Um, But Uh, if they just get more sleep, they get more sleep, they increase their performance. If that's the the idea that you've got. And I want to share with you just a very quick study as well, if I may, which is when we think about sleep, and you brought up an awesome point, mate, which is when you rocked up into work, you sometimes might feel that you're okay, but what you look like is a completely different story. And Mm. that's the interesting thing about sleep deprivation is people that are sleep deprived don't know about it. They actually think their performance is the same. And there was a really interesting study done where there was three groups. I'm going to put you in group. Say Sam was in group one and I'm in group two. And let's just say someone else is in group three. Let's say Roger Federer. No, I don't know why. But he's there. You have got three different groups. One group, group one got eight hours of sleep. Group two, six hours. Group three, four hours of sleep. And what they did is they then measured their physical and mental performance across a period of three to four weeks. So interesting with this. The group of six hours, so group two, after one week, yeah. what they noticed, these you know, professors just sitting having a look, is that 25% of these people fell asleep at least once during the day. Fell asleep, conked out, narcolepsy, bye-bye, see you later. Oh, because it was six hours across a the week, they were done. Sleep on. and the, like face down face down done see you later bye bye and then when you took it even a step further two weeks the performance deficits added up to a point where they couldn't actually return where their physical and mental performance decreased by 50 to 60 percent on average and that was done through memory tests it was also done through just simple physical um, means and this comes down to the point that we spoke about where physical and mental restoration is so important because there are those two stages of sleep and it's no wonder, you know, your Roger Federer is your LeBron James. There, it's like known so well for getting eleven to twelve hours of sleep every single night. I don't know how they do it, but peak performance, peak sleep.
1: Cryo chamber. I've seen it. They freeze themselves every night. <laughs>
0: What's <laughs> a cryo chamber? Is that the
1: what is it? They they have that uh, that like ice chamber, the cooling chamber, hyperbaric like, cooling oh, chamber. Yeah. They go in and they cool down their cells. I've seen LeBron in it on his Instagram, so yeah, obviously it's very scientific. But you're so right. And like just to round up this point, really quickly, we are going to get some tactical stuff later on, but there was a study done by DARPA, which is the defense agency research projects in America, and they did really Ex- high-tech, like really, really high-tech defense research. So like, if you've ever been in a conspiracy theory, these guys did it. Don't quote me on that, but it's entirely possible. But like they, they, they did a study where they found one night sleep loss led to 30% loss in overall cognitive skill. 30%, like almost a third, two night's sleep loss. Do you know, do you know what that drop in uh, skill was? Two night's sleep loss, Jaren? Have a guess. Mate,
0: tell me. I don't know, like 30%, 40%,
1: 50%? Doubled, 60%. It That's doubled. Great. So like night on night, it is doubling. You are getting worse cumulatively and almost doubling in terms of performance decreases every time you don't get enough sleep. And I mean, that's super fascinating, but you think about startup culture, I don't know, you've got plenty to say on, hence on sleep and startup culture.
0: Yeah, well, I, I got to, I'll share with you a personal story here, mate, and we've spoken about it as well. Well, For those listening in, um, I started a, a startup in 2016, um, and it's an education company. And I remember the first two years to level with you, I was working 100 hour weeks easily, um, all the way through. And it was such a weird thing that this story I was telling myself would just keep grafting, keep grinding. And I was probably getting three to four hours sleep at night. But when we talk about sleep right now, it's like that whole badge of honor. It's that like um, FaceTime bias. The more time you spend on something, the better the outcome. And that's completely past the point of truth. It's like how we've been talking about sleep for the past 20 years. You must get your eight hours. No, you don't. Get your eight hours. But what's your sleep productivity? How good are those eight hours? And it's the same thing with startup culture, which I find fascinating, is that it is the quality just as much as the quantity that becomes super, super important. And so the law of diminishing returns, my 100 hours are probably the same as, you know, 50 good hours, right? Um, but the story you end up telling yourself, the fact that you're not aware of your sleep deprivation, and you think your performance is still really good, means you get trapped in this vicious cycle, which is why possibly, and again, I've got no answer here that I'm going to push, but why we don't necessarily care as much about sleep as we should because it goes by the wayside as you
1: said definitely it's it's like so intrinsic in that culture of work hard play hard put in the hours you know sleep when you're dead which is just ridiculous because it's like well that's a great way to get to being dead quicker by not sleeping exactly
0: and it's it's a hard one to come in and like look i just throw a fact here Uh, you you know you know i like my facts but basically they estimate economically that 100 billion dollars is lost every year in efficiency and performance right and so it brings into so many 100 billion dollars right and you know like the economic impact people don't really look at the dollar value because they just think about you know the 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 work hard play hard culture as you said but it becomes there's so many interesting implications for the idea of sleep like what time should students go to school um what time should we go to work how many days a week should we work given what COVID-19's done, it's put a lot of things under the microscope of assumptions we've probably been living by for the past 20, 30 years. And I'm not going to get all woke here, but I think it's a very interesting idea that we're going to discuss when we get to implementation on how to get better sleep, because there's actually implications from an individual that all of you listening can practically do, but also from like a societal and an institutional perspective that can both be synergistic in nature, um, which I I think is a a really interesting point uh, for listeners uh, listening in.
1: I I totally agree, and I'm really excited for some of that practical stuff coming up because a lot of it's counterintuitive. You wouldn't have heard it before. It's it is maybe going to blow your brain and your mind, but who knows? Uh, There's just a couple more things that I think we've got to talk about when it comes to sleep because there are a couple more problems, and these ones are really important. There's another one that sleep actually has a, a toll on your body, so it's not just your brain that's impacted. It's also your body. So your metabolism drops by half if you're trying to lose weight. And you're not sleeping. You're actually not burning as much energy. Your brain energy production drops your ability to convert glucose into energy in the brain. And so you begin more and more tired over time. Stress hormones rise. And you actually accelerate the aging process. This is crazy. This is crazy. They did a study, here, And I, totally. I, I hope I you're sitting down. And I hope everyone's sitting down. They did a study. And they found if you're healthy and 30 years old, and you were deprived of sleep for six days, certain chemical systems in your body became the same as those if you were 60. You went from 30 years old to 60 just through sleep deprivation for systems in your body. And it took, it took more than a week to get back to that. Like that is crazy. Yeah, it, that's absolutely
0: nuts to, when you think about it. And like when you, hit, when you said that, I had an emotional reaction. And I was like, that like, is nuts. But it's also That's so bad because awesome. so many people are probably experiencing that, that right now, like literally right now that we don't think about yeah. um, of the aging process, right? It's like you, you raised a really good point, sleep when you're dead, but as you said, you're getting closer to death with the lack of sleep. Yeah. You're accelerating it. <laughs> Which That's- is actually crazy. And, if, like, and I was going to ask you on that note because there's a few other ones, as you said, because when you like, you're talking about the whole idea that what, what we eat changes as well. Which is, you know, when you're sort of lacking of sleep, you know, you're that like craving for junk food. You're that like craving for like heavy carbs.
1: Oh, my God, my God. <laughs> it's chocolate. I say chocolate, and I just boom click. Oh, mate, I've I've got to level
0: with everyone that's listening. Here. The <laughs> past few days has been really bad. I've uh, yeah. I've gone on sort of the delivery route and grab grab food. So, for everyone that's listening, I'm in Singapore. Grab food is the sort of Uber Eat, so to speak. Um, and yeah, it's been in and out. It's been burgers. It's been everything. Sort of at twelve midnight, and I, I just can't help it. And it's so interesting that, that weight gain is so clearly correlated with a lack of sleep. That's why all the bodybuilders say, "Hey, get, make sure you get your eight hours." Because we talked about that physical restoration. But your craving for those bad foods increases with your lack of sleep because it's six carb. I'm not going to get too much into sort of the biochemical nature, but for those interested. Um, It's all about this idea of ghrelin and leptin, which are the two things that modulate when you're hungry. And all you need to know is lack of sleep leads to your cravings for this food.
1: Which is nuts. I mean, not only does it hurt your brain, but it hurts your body. And also, I mean, we'll briefly cover what happens when you sleep. And there are a couple of different phases that happen. And this is when some of the really interesting stuff happens around learning that you guys are going to be super interested by. But also, the, like, sleep loss gives you a dirty brain. And no, I'm not talking about thinking about dirty pictures of images. You Get your head out of the gutter. <laughs> what I'm actually saying is, like sleep during sleep, there is a system in your brain, the, the glymphatic system, which washes away all the built-up grime from the day. So there's built-up uh, waste products, these uh, neuro, neuronal processes, metabolic weight, pro, uh, pro, metabolic Waste, so to speak, we'll start a little bit there. That all gets washed out overnight, um, and it's part of your sleep cycle. So if you don't do that, what happens is the these waste products build up, and there's actually been correlation between certain uh, waste products, such as amyloid beta plaques, and neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. So I was, was going to ask you on that one. Yeah,
0: that, that's so interesting because you're right that the whole idea of plaques with Alzheimer's, right? That like that's the buildup that leads to Alzheimer's.
1: So that's it. So I always like to say sleep's kind of like putting your brain through the dishwasher. It's like easy off bamming your brain. It's like cleaning away.
0: <laughs> such a weird image, but very true. It's such a weird very image. True, very right, true. Right now I'm Imagine imagining, I'm literally dead. imagining a brain right now inside. Inside, inside a dishwasher. A dishwasher. really weird, but...
1: Um. Which is weird. But then if you think about what happens if you don't put a plate inside the dishwasher and you use it the next day. It's covered in food scraps and over time it's going to be so dirty that the mold will be talking to you and you won't be able to eat off that. And you don't want that to be your brain play. You don't want that. I mean, I don't that, that is mean,
0: such a good example. That's such a good analogy. Like, that makes so much sense to me. Like, yeah. package that up. Copyright, trademark, Sam Holston analogy. Done.
1: Yeah, you, you guys, you'll see it in stores really, really soon. Um, we've talked a lot about the, the problems with sleep, but I know a lot of people are actually curious what, what happens when we sleep. And luckily for you guys, Kieran has got the lowdown on this, and I'm super excited for it, Kieran. What happens? What happens when we sleep? Tell us, tell us a little bit about the sleep cycle.
0: It's a super question, and so I think, as what Sam's saying, like we've talked about the problems. Now it's understanding how sleep works, so that in this next session afterwards, we can obviously look at the tools uh, to get better sleep. But in reality, there are four stages of sleep, Sammy, But they're basically the most important stages to be keep in mind are REM and non-REM. And REM stands for Rapid Eye Movement. And so I want to basically give you the the two phases that become really important. Remember how I spoke about physical restoration and mental restoration? Basically, the first sort of stage, or the stages if you will, all around slow wave, right? Which is where we're talking about deep sleep and delta waves. This is where your physical restoration peaks massively. This is where the body relaxes, the breathing's regular, um, blood pressure falls, and this is all about renewal and repair. And this is when we talk about quality of sleep, right? This is where you're basically releasing a lot of growth hormone from a, a part of your brain called the pituitary, pituitary gland, um, and that's all about restoration, uh, which we spoke about as well. And also, keep in mind, the immune system. Right? This is actually where gene expression, and that's just a fancy way of saying a bunch of proteins in your body are produced that helps you fight infection and fight disease. These things called T-killer cells. They're basically the ninjas and assassins of the body that uh, help keep all that stuff at bay, i.e. corona. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but it's super interesting that with this slow wave sleep, right? And really think about it in terms of slow wave, this is the stuff that you need for physical restoration. And it was a really interesting study. Have you watched uh The Last Dance recently or yet?
1: Oh, you, you know I have. <laughs> you know, so you know we watched every episode of the night <laughs> it came out. It is literally so
0: good. Now, I again I'm I love my LeBron. I'm not lie, but Michael Jordan is obviously still the GOAT. Um, and it was really interesting that. When they did a study on basketball, per se, they actually found that with more slow-wave sleep, when they basically looked at these particular um, professionals, there was an increased performance both in free throw percentage and three-point percentage by 9 to 10%. And that was just by getting more slow-wave sleep, believe it or not. What? By, by how much, did you say? Yeah, 9 to 10%, mate. Like, think about, like, the NBA average. NBA average at the three-point lines like, 30, 30 to 32%. Like, Stephen Curry's another league, for those listening that love their basketball. Nuts. That increase in physical performance,
1: it's crazy. Um, just by getting more slow wave sleep, like, I mean we're not all LeBron James or Steph Curry or MJ, but we all hey, do speak for yourself. <laughs> I've seen the way you play basketball, and I can confirm for our listeners, he is in fact exactly like LeBron James. Yeah,
0: just I'm the Asian LeBron James. Come on now, let's let's be frank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the second thing then comes into it is we talked about yep. rapid eye movement sleep, and this is all about mental restoration right this is for the mind right? this is all about
1: this is actually when you dream as well do you remember your dreams mate by the way I um, i i don't i'm kind of in between you know how some people wake up every morning and they say yeah just let me tell you about their dreams i'm usually I wake up in the morning and said something weird happened last night but i don't know what
0: I really don't want like Sigmund Freud and Nietzsche to look at my dreams when I was younger. I used to always just dream like, about werewolves and vampires about to kill me. And then I'd be the hero trying to stab them. And every time they just about to kill me, I'd wake up. And like wake up with that whole adrenaline rush of, ah, don't know what that means. I don't want to know.
1: <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> but... <laughs> Maybe it means you ate too much cheese, too much cheese before bed.
0: <laughs> Probably. But as <laughs> we said in terms of random sleep, right, this is where the body temperature increases a lot. But this is where, Sandy, your point of that whole idea of consolidation memory um, takes place, right? It's that cleaning of the brain that takes place here. A really big fun fact for you, though, here is that the body doesn't move during this phase. And, um, and the large hypothesis right in here is you're paral- uh, paralyzed because you don't want your mod- body to move to act out your dreams. Now, I'm not saying that's the actual case, but I want to share with you, mate, have you heard of sleep paralysis,
1: by any chance? Hey, look, I've more than heard of sleep paralysis. I've lived it. And I don't Seriously, I did not know it. That. it is the scariest thing. The listeners that uh,
0: are tuning in, uh, if you have had it before, there's so many pictures, um, like in all the Roman times, of like goblins and demons and aliens like sitting on you. That oh, yeah. literally feels like that. You wake up and you're like aware consciously, but you can't move your body at all. And I remember I first got it when I was like eight years old. And I kid you not, I honestly thought aliens were in the room. I thought I was being abducted and it made me scared to go to sleep. I remember so distinctly for like the three months after that, my mom and dad, I just... I put my hand up, had to sleep with my mum and dad because I literally was so scared to go to bed because I thought I was going to be abducted. And the sleep paralysis is, they still don't know why it happens, but it is crazy um, in terms of what happens. So you said it happens to you as well.
1: I, I have had it a couple of times and that it's this feeling of impending doom. And there's something about the dream state when you go into sleep paralysis where it's just too real. Mm. It's inception it's levels real, you know? You can feel everything.
0: It's crazy because like, I, I was looking, I didn't tell you about this prior to us chatting, mate, but I looked into it a little bit further because I was very interested. And there is actually an increased number of police inquiries that happen to do with like alien abductions, like <laughs> literally a spike with reports when people have actually been diagnosed with sleep paralysis, I kid you not, yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is actually pretty nuts to so think about it because it does feel like that, right? And like I've worked out a way to get out of it because I try and like move my body and I move my thumb now. So every time I move my thumb, I'm able to sort of wake up and come back to it, but it is still, still super, super scary. But just wanted to give you those two, obviously big stages of sleep and the physical and mental restoration that come with it. The question now becomes, Sandy, and I know that you've got a fair bit on this as we move to, if you do get a really good sleep and you are getting those, the deepness of sleep and you're getting that rapid eye movement sleep and the quality and quantity there, there are just so many benefits. Like There are so many plus sides to it, obviously living longer, but mate, I know you've done a fair bit of research into this. Talk to me.
1: I I have and I'm uh, very excited so now that we know how important it is to get sleep because of what happens if you don't get enough sleep let's uh let's cover what happens when you do get enough sleep all right cool so now we're going to cover like Kieran just said, some of the benefits of what happens when you do get enough sleep. Um, and Kieran alluded to this earlier. And I want to test uh, your retrieval, so to speak, of what oh, you can remember. You did not
0: tell me we were going to
1: do this. What have I been listening, listening? to you? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> what did we say about what happens when you sleep at almost the start of the episode? I'll give you three seconds.
0: What, what happens? You consolidate memory.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Give you 30 seconds. (laughs) So what happens during sleep is that you actually replay all the memories you had from the day beforehand or the period beforehand over in your mind. It's kind of like pressing replay on uh, your YouTube video if you're watching a TikTok, just letting it cycle over, right? And this is super important because as you're playing these memories, like you said, you're actually ingraining them better into the neural pathways in your brain. And... It's even crazier than that because they did this amazing study with rats. Are you ready to hear a bit of a rat study? And people I like think like
0: rat, rat, rats get so much flack. Like, what they've honestly you know, done for us in, from a research perspective is
1: right. actually bonkers. I think you've got to give, we've got to give more love to the rats. Just got to put it out there. Yeah. People love your rats. Love your rats. They've done a lot of well love for us, you know? Love your rats. Um, but they did this study with rats and they gave them a puzzle and they helped the, the rats to navigate the puzzle. And then, they tried two things. After they gave the puzzle, they stuck uh, electrodes in the brains of the rats to see what was happening during the the puzzle solving activity. And they recorded this activity in their brain, which is pretty cool. And they said, all right, this rat has activity here in their brain. This one has activity there. Well, let's look at that now. What they then did is they helped the rats go to sleep. Guess what they found when the rats went to sleep? I have no idea what happened those exact same activities they have recorded <clears throat> while they were solving that pro- problem, the puzzle during the day, lit up. Literally, exact same.
0: That's that's bonkers. That it, it, that's actually crazy. Because what is popping into my head right now, mate, is like you know how with sports people they always talk about like visualization. Like I'm not yeah. saying again this works, but it seems like a really similar thing, which is you can visualize yourself practicing and possibly get still some benefit. Obviously, not going to replace the practice you do, but that's that. It's so interesting.
1: It's so crazy. And then they actually tried to interrupt the rat's sleep at that slow wave cycle you're talking about. And then they tested them the next day. And what they found is the rats who had their sleep interrupted couldn't solve the problem. They'd forgotten how to do it. But the rats who did it, no problem at all. They solved it. So this process when we sleep of replaying the memories is actually integral to learning. Like it's so important that when you get your sleep disrupted like that poor little rat did, you, you lose part of what you were trying to encode from the day before. You lose some of that memory. It, what you're saying
0: right now is like, hey, taking me all the way back to uni and the whole idea of cramming, like where yeah. you sort of people like cram last minute. I'm sure everyone who's listening in has done that before where you're trying to like prepare for some sort of test, maybe even a meeting. And the whole idea is like when you're doing it, I don't know how you feel about it, but you always feel like you're doing the right thing. You always feel like you're getting more bang for your buck by cramming last minute to get the information in your head. But what you're saying, which makes total sense, is that time to sleep where you're replaying the memory is so important for the memorization. It's very clear that cramming doesn't work.
1: It's, it's like counterintuitive. You think about all-nighters. I used to do them. But what happens is you, your short-term, your ability to remember that in the short-term might not be as impacted. But that memory was never properly encoded. So two, three days later, gone. That all-nighter, and I, I've had this happen. I learned an entire subject in about 16 hours. I went and did my <laughs> exam. Two days later, two days later, I kid you not, I couldn't <laughs> answer a single question. I had no idea. Oh, but I mate. passed.
0: Nailed it. Please dec- get no. degrees. Don't, no, no that's not, get, honestly get, true. Bad, get, bad, bad advertisement. <laughs>
1: that's that's coming down uh yeah we'll have to talk about that in the edge
0: <laughs> we will but that's a super one so basically what you're saying is like in a nutshell performance enhancing from a mental capacity memory consolidation
1: Usually, yeah. is there anything else
0: from a, a benefit side that's on your on your mind
1: there, there is and we'll cover this really quickly because we're going to get into the, the the nitty-gritty the tactical stuff which i'm super excited about but sleep also helps you regulate your hormones So it helps essentially reset the adrenal system overnight, which controls your stress hormones, how stressed you are throughout the day. It also regulates the neurotransmitters and helps your your brain recover the parts responsible for releasing those neurotransmitters. What does that mean for you? That's the way you feel, your mood. The stress improves your mood, improves your brain performance, and it also helps your body, like you said, to restore itself and reset. So it's really, really important for... uh, Uh, muscle restoration especially if you're a you're a gym rat or you like to work out you don't get enough sleep your your muscles literally don't have the time to rebuild themselves while they're inactive mate
0: what you just said then though around the whole idea of um how you feel i think is such a salient point because we're going to be talking about in our next couple episodes like the neuroscience of well-being and in reality when we when we talk about The idea of sleep, like when you, it's coming to my mind now, all the major mental health illnesses, illnesses, depression, bipolar, um, schizophrenia, there's a real common link where there's a lack of sleep amongst all those people, there's clear correlation. And so as we are in obviously COVID-19 where, you know, it it is a lot of stress for a lot of people economically, financially, um, getting a good night's sleep can be such a, a remedy to helping your just general well-being, your mental health, your stress, which is it's such a weird thing. We always look for different solutions. Like we're gonna talk about the neuroscience of meditation. Don't get it wrong, really important. Oh, way to yeah. Do it. But like it's the core thing is sleep. Like get more sleep. sleep. You feel better. Like it makes sense.
1: It's so crazy. Almost every neuroscientist who's ever talked about well-being, their number one recommendation every time without fail on the top of the list is sleep. it's top of this. I'll I'll even give you even more than that. They did a cross-sectional multivariate analysis across thousands of people to see what made people happiest. And they came up with five factors. The top of the list was sleep. Yeah, crazy. Thousands of people. uh... All right. Now you guys know what happens when you don't get enough sleep. Now you know what happens when you do get enough sleep. Let's get to what you came for, the nitty-gritty, the practical, the tactical the uh, applicable brain tools, which is one of the names we're workshopping by the way, brain tools podcast. Let us know what you think. Let's get into some uh, some brain tools uh, and talk about some implementations too. Are you ready? You ready for that, Kieran? How do you feel about that? I'm so
0: ready. Let's do it.
1: Now we're gonna talk about the, the practical side of things. Now you know why you need sleep. Let's talk about how to get better sleep. and. Luckily for you guys, Kira and I have been uh, researching hard every night, staying up late, sacrificing our sleep so that we can bring you ways to get better sleep.
0: <laughs> so dramatic!
1: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> some really interesting, some really interesting uh, counterintuitive practical ways of getting more sleep that many people don't know about. What was what was the top of that list, Kira?
0: Yeah, it's a super question, man. I think this is where we're going to get super practical. Like, if you want to get a better night's sleep, the first thing that I can offer, and it might seem really obvious, but again, it's a really important one, is regularity, right? And we spoke about this. And for those that are listening in, Sam and I did a little bit of a test for a week prior to today where we actually recorded the times that we actually went to sleep. Um, And when we by the end of it, when we were before we were about to do this, we compared notes, and it was so interesting for both Sam and I that are notoriously really bad at sleeping. Even we're talking about it right now, our regularity when we went to sleep there was differences of hours when we did it. I remember seeing my own, but one was at ten p.m., one was at one p. one a.m. in the morning, one was at eleven thirty, and the same for Sam. And that whole idea of regularity is so important. Are you going to sleep at the same time? Because your body has what we speak about, like a circadian rhythm which is your body likes routine because routine sets your body free. And it's a really important thing to say, hey, what time are you going to bed right now every day? And humans are terrible statisticians. And we're going to be talking about behavioral economics as well with this. But if you ask this person what time you go to bed, (laughs) like as you said, mate, when you ask people when you go to sleep, they'll give you the wrong answer. They'll be off. And they'll think it's the same every night. i say 10. No, no, it's 10.30. It's 10.32. And my biggest piece of advice is for every single person here is pick the time you're going to go to bed. And try and stick to that religiously. The way you put structures in place, if you are in a relationship with someone, it's always best that you both do it at the same time. So you've got that sort of social accountability as well. Um, that can be really, really useful. But it's yeah. also, and we'll get to this having some form of a routine that happens when you're gonna go to bed so that your mind and body start to adjust to it. A really simple tactic keep it dark, right? Darkness is where you end up going to sleep. So the moment you turn off the lights, your body and brain start to think, oh, it's time to go to bed. So these simple triggers, happening at the same time lead to greater sleep regularity, greater quality, and greater quantity
1: of sleep. And that's my first
0: one to give you, Sammy.
1: Uh, I love that. It's such a good one. And it leads directly into the next one I have for you. And this is, uh, is going to be a, a little bit surprising for a lot of people. But uh, just take a journey with me for a second. Inside your brain is a whole bunch of clocks. And neuroscientists will always talk about this. There's different clocks that time. Things like your hormone secretions when you're meant to be waking up and they basically control like when we're hungry, when we go to sleep, when we're horny, all these different things are regulated by these clocks. (laughs) You have these clocks, but not everyone's clocks are the same. And there's actually three different sleeper types and they're called chronotypes. Interesting. I didn't know this. Talk to me. People didn't know this, right? I didn't know this actually either. So there are three different chronotypes and we get this wrong all the time and the three are lark, the owl, and the hummingbird. Now, as can be expected, if you're an owl, you're a bit of a night creature. And funny enough, like you, and what this means is your, your internal clock and your entire genetic sequence is optimized to stay up late and get up late. So people who are an owl should be sleeping in late, but they should also be the ones who at you know 1am are wide awake, because that's what their body was designed to do. And Everyone has been an owl in their life, everyone. Mm. Everyone's been an owl. Seriously. When, when, might have, when might have everyone been an owl, Kieran? When do you reckon? Absolutely, at school, surely, has to be. Has to be. Teenagers, so uh, around 90% of teenagers are owls, their body goes into that rhythm, um, and that's why when we talk about a little bit later, but school systems really bad for teenagers because you end up being sleep deprived. So owls, owls, one of the chronotypes, The next one is the lark. And this is what I am personally. And what that means is your body is optimized to wake up early. So you're optimized to be up at 5, 6 a.m. and to be in bed by around 10 p.m. And these chronotypes are actually partially genetic, but also as a result of environmental factors. And it's super weird, right? Because growing up, the reason I'm a lark is I used to wake up at 6 a.m. every morning with my mom and watch aerobics. That was what we did. And I did that every year from three to about six which basically wired into my genes um, which is so 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 strange but also my dad's a lock and if one of your parents is a lark, if one of your parents gets up early there's 50 percent chance that you're gonna have that same chronotype which is pretty crazy so there are the two outliers and then you've got hummingbirds which is everyone else uh in between which is people who usually wake up around 7 8 a.m So there are these three sleep types, but most people try to sleep like they're hummingbirds. And if you're one of those people, when you're an owl, like you are, if you're a lark, like I am, what it means is your body's not going to be sleeping properly because it wasn't meant to be asleep at that time. You're trying to go to bed at 10 and your body doesn't want to go to bed at 2 a.m. Like you, You physically won't get a proper rest.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting that's yeah the whole idea as you said it's like trying to put a square peg into a round hole type of thing and what what I'm thinking right now is again that nine to five like where did nine to five come from like all this sort of stuff like it's it's a really interesting implication um just for how we go about our everyday lives
1: yeah but also like you know everyone has that one friend that sleeps in all the time and you joke about uh, (laughs) them Ben's, uh, That's Ben's lazy. That's me.
0: literally you. That's literally you.
1: It's not, it's not me. It's <laughs> definitely my little sister. But um, <laughs> okay, so we, like we, we like to uh, throw a bit of shade their way, but it could just be their genetics. Now, when it comes to implementation of this, now that you know there are three chronotypes, people who like to sleep in late, hours, and go to bed late, people who like to get up early and go to bed early, larks, and then people in between. The implementation is figuring out which one you are. And you probably already know this. Like you just said, you stay up late. You're probably going to be out. Your body's probably better adjusted for that. And it's, it's wired into your brain clock. I'm a luck. I should be going to bed early because I want to wake up early. My body does that. Once you figure out which one you are, or if you're in the middle, then you can try to like optimize your sleep routine for that. And what you'll find is that's when your body wants to go to sleep anyway. So you'll get better sleep. That's my next yes. implementation. Figure out which type you are, and then optimize your sleep time. I love it.
0: That's so good, and that feeds really nicely into to my next one, which is for each and every one of those chronotypes that you speak of, there's one thing that's common between all of them, and that's the whole idea of keeping it cool. Um, and the reason I bring up the whole idea of keeping it cool is that your brain actually drops by a few degrees when it's actually ready to, to go to sleep. And so the really, really thing interesting part about it is in Australian summers, my friend, as you know, it is so hard to get to bed. Like it's so difficult because you're tossing, you're turning, you're sweating, and that's because your brain's not obviously at the right temperature to allow that sleep to occur. So you wanna keep it cool in order for your brain to obviously have that benefit and then obviously get to bed accordingly. Two really practical things that you can do. The first one, which is gonna seem really counterintuitive, because when I saw this, this is coming back way to my human physiology classes back in the day, but taking a hot bath. And they might be thinking, hey, Kiran, hold on. You said, keep it cool, take a hot bath. That makes no what, sense
1: you, what do you say but it
0: actually but, but it actually say? does because when you go into the bath really really hot all um all the blood is rushing obviously uh to the core and what happens when you get out of the bath is your core temperature drops significantly because of the temperature change which means that your core and of your body is obviously lower in temperature which means when you rug up into your bed your body, your brain is at the right temperature to get that to get that sleep which is really interesting when you think about the implications for that. Now, how I took this as, um, especially the past couple of nights when I've really struggled to get some sleep, is I actually get um, an ice pack. And what I do is I actually get an ice pack, wrap it around and put it near my neck. Um, and I sort of sleep on it when I'm actually doing my meditation. I'll speak about that in a little bit. Um, but what that has been is re- like huge for me getting more sleep. So two really practical things, have a a hot bath, have a hot shower before you go to bed, if you can, and then obviously something uh, cold. And obviously in Singapore, we have air conditioners, so we drop the temperature massively. But keeping it cool is a
1: really, really big part of helping you you get to sleep. Keep it cool. Be a cool customer. Cool customer sleep best. That's (laughs) so crazy around hot showers because obviously even just talking about now, and I'm thinking about it, like the, the intuitive thought is, wow, why would I have a hot shower before bed? That's going to heat me up. But like you said, it's that moment when you get out and everything goes a little bit cold and, you know, your body starts to shiver where your body temperature drops. Oh, wow, that's, that's a super cool one that I didn't know. Thank you for sharing.
0: Well, I'll put it back to you. What's your, what's your second one, mate?
1: Thank you for sharing. Uh, everyone hates the alarm clock. But I want to talk about resetting your brain's alarm clock and setting your rhythm. So we talked about regularity before, but there are a couple of different ways to help you establish that regularity when you wake up. And so what, what happens when you wake up and you need to be in the mindset of telling your brain, hey, this is actually time to be awake, because that's what establishes that, that alarm clock in the brain, that routine, where every day the brain goes and gets these cues and thinks, yes, this is when I need to be up. And there are a couple of really easy ways you can do this. The first one is exposure to light. Think about this, right? Think about this. When were we meant to wake up when we were in the savannah with a little loincloth running away from lions? (laughs) I'm together of lions, then. (laughs) uh, Well, when the sun came out, right? When the light comes up. For sure. And so there's actually, there's been quite a lot of studies around this, but exposure to sunlight, the moment you wake up and the period afterwards, tells your body and your brain hey we should be awake and it actually helps you establish that body clock to be awake at that time so what i'll do in the morning is when i get up rather than lying around in bed or lazing around my first thing to do is get up get out of bed and get outside Mm -hmm. and that's and that's how you establish that regularity by setting that brain clock so So that's that's the first way you can do it which is pretty cool pretty easy
0: yeah, Sue, so, so all these things, and I'm not, not tapping ourselves on the shoulder, but for people listening in, these like I'm, I'm hearing Sam's on for the first time. I'm going to be really I'm to level with you with it. And these, they just seem so easy. Like, it's not a hard thing to do. Go get light.
1: Go get light. <laughs> like, literally, okay. go get light. Literally, go get light. Um, and then the second implementation of this, which is just as easy, is just exercise in the morning. Exercise before 10 a.m. So what that actually does is it helps your, your entire uh, neural circuitry and your, your CNS to wake up, but also sends a, a signal to your brain that as soon as you wake up and start walking, hey, this is when we're meant to be awake. It's almost like you're telling the brain, hey, by the way, every day at 8 a.m. I go for a walk. So I need to be ready for that period. And the brain says, thanks, Kieran. I'm going to remember that and make sure to wake you up by that time. So they did a lot of research around this and they found that people who woke up in the morning and exercised before 7am or whatever your chronotype suggests actually slept better the next night because their brain was reset and set for that good sleep.
0: It's, it's such a good point. And it feeds as we say about with regularity, it's like, yes, it's about sleep regularity, but also waking up regularity is super, super important. 100%. And those two things that you've spoken about, um, you know, to set the day right makes so much, so much sense to me, mate. Those are, those are gems
1: like little things that i I mean if i wake up and go outside and walk for 30 minutes the next night i sleep like a baby Mm. i sleep like a baby and i wake up the same time the next day and then the days i don't do it i notice i'm groggy my body feels a bit the word i'd use is out of whack Mm. where you just don't feel like that routine's there so i i'm like i can tell you personally it's worked for me it's worked for me no outside of research it's worked for me your next one's Super important though, and it's one I am terrible at. Um, what is it, kids Yeah, well, it's it's my
0: last one to bring. Uh, what we've spoken about together is sort of creating that sort of power down routine, uh, and what I mean by that is it's it's a really interesting one that the way that our sleep or our ways our life has changed is really interesting, mate. Like, think about it. We spend basically nine to five in a room that's dark generally, and with like artificial light. Um, And then we come home (laughs) to more light through obviously being cyborg hooks with our our phones and our laptops and so on. And there's so many implications to that from an addiction standpoint, so we'll obviously speak about, but making sure you're getting rid of, and when I say getting rid of, you're placing away um, all the technology that you normally have at least an hour, at least an hour and a half before bed is super, super important. Now, not to dive in too much into it, but there is something in your brain called melatonin, and that's basically just responsible for when you go to sleep uh, and obviously when you're awake. Now, when melatonin is obviously suppressed, you're awake. Things that suppress it, blue light. Caffeine even, as he's able to. Having coffee at nine, not a great thing. But if- What do you mean
1: by blue light?
0: Blue light, so things are, So different to like sort of the halogens, so like a lamp, nicer, right? But say your laptop screen, as an example, has more blue light in it, again, according to the electromagnetic spectrum. But then you've obviously got uh, your phone as well. And I know there's heaps of apps on your phone that now have like sort of nightshade and stuff.
1: Even then,
0: that is still not great. It's only just halving it, if anything, in terms of your exposure to light. So it's not, I think people have taken, to be honest with you mate, people have taken this whole idea of, I put nightshade on, I can still look at my phone until I go to bed. It's not true. Like that's just a way of saying it will impact you less. If, as opposed to removing it altogether.
1: I did not know that. So I'm actually one of those people who chronically uses Flux and claims it, fixes everything.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one, man. And that's why I like that whole idea of creating a routine or a power-down routine. So um, one yeah. of my mates, to share this with you, because I know you're in a relationship whereas you know, <laughs> myself, but you've got um, the whole idea here is um, that his name's Rob, and when he goes to bed and he, he's like in a startup as well, basically he's sort of typing you know, going away, and his uh, partner will always ask, hey, what's the, what's the business case for this? What's the actual business case for you replying to that email right now, we're doing this right now? And it's such an interesting way of getting workaholics and people who are so infatuated by work, and that's a great thing, but off. Because then Rob always says to me, he's like, cool, I've got to think through it. Like, what's the return on investment, me doing it now, compared to when I wake up in the morning when I can reply to it? And there's normally not a very good business case or return on investment for you doing it eight hours later. And I found that such a such a useful thing, which is especially for ourselves. We love to work, obviously, because we enjoy it. But um, yeah, what's the business case? And I found that a really, really interesting one uh, as well.
1: That is so epic. And I have never heard that before. <laughs> and that is going to be my heuristic, my rule moving forwards for anything stupid is, what's the business case? Because like you said, most of the time, there isn't one there
0: isn't yeah, exactly and the moment you engage your conscious part of your brain to actually sit back and think hey why, why am i doing this you don't have a very good excuse it's just the routine of i see the notification i see the email i've got to reply but you don't have to reply just lying to yourself
1: you can wait, can <laughs> wait so and i love that and that's and, sorry mate. no i was just gonna say it's a great way to break the pattern is spot
0: on, and, and speaking of breaking the pattern, my sort of final implementation of this power down routine, and this is something that I've only recently introduced over the past few weeks. Um, but is meditation, so I use Headspace again. We're not affiliated with it. Hey, Headspace, do you want to be affiliated with us? But, um, <laughs> we'll, show <you> out. <laughs> we'll show you out, but um, yeah, I now do meditation. What I found super interesting is that again, I'm not going to go into the science because we've got that in another episode, but it's me, just having space to not think or think about or focus on something else means that I disengage from my thoughts and I'm just more observing them and being mindful of them. But I'm falling asleep. I do it for 20 minutes. I'm falling asleep after 10. I'm like literally falling asleep. And I, have, I literally wake up with my phone on me with like headspace still there because I've just fallen asleep. And what I, what I push people to have is even if you just do some deep breathing and counting to 10, you know, counting to sheep or counting your breaths, something like that to break your thought process becomes a part of your power down routine. And as we said, routine sets you free so that you've got this like really clear stages so that you increase the probability of you getting a good night's rest. We're not saying by any means any of these things will make you sleep. It just simply increases the chances of it happening. And that's uh, my final sort of takeaway, so to speak.
1: Love it, super powerful, super powerful. I have a power down routine. Uh, yeah, it's something I'm still working on. I know you've been killing it and it's been working really well for you. So I'm excited to try that out myself. Like you said, nothing's a silver bullet, and all these things kind of accumulate. They add up, they add up, and add up, and then suddenly you're getting the right amount of sleep. I just have one more for everyone before we wrap off today, and it is not actually about sleeping during the night. This is a little bit different.
0: Oh, okay, I'm leaning, leaning in. You got me. Please,
1: please lean in, please, Cheryl Sandberg. Lean in. Great book. Uh, <laughs> Very good. Just <great>. stay <laughs> <Yeah>, down. My girlfriend's <laughs> Um this one is actually respecting the nap zone. So humans were actually optimized when, when we evolved to have this afternoon nap. And they've done all this research around it. And you know that mid-afternoon lull, well, people call it you know, the, the food coma or the mid-afternoon sleepies or whatever else you want to call it, the nap zone. There is actually this, uh, this, this chronological period at mid-afternoon where our body wants us to sleep. And they theorize that this evolved as a way for us to digest meals, to restore a little bit through our incredibly active and busy days on the savannah. Um, but it's super important for us now because what happens is everyone tries to push through that nap zone in the mid afternoon. You go and have a coffee, or you move around, you get a water break. I'm telling you, don't fight it. Don't fight it. Have a nap because the nap actually sets you up for a better sleep that night. You're not sleep deprived. The nap helps with uh, a tiny restorative period that allows you to sleep better overnight. Uh, and intrinsically, I found this myself. I now nap pretty much every day at 2 p.m. I have a 20-minute nanonap. nap. And by the time I go to bed, I am much—I fall asleep much quicker. Much quicker. That, that is
0: so interesting because, again, we, we talked about that idea of um, that sort of work culture, right? I and mean, this is not having a D at anyone in particular, oh, yeah. but it's like if you fall asleep during work at the day, like it's bad Right, you shouldn't. This is it's time to work, it's time to be on, but without realizing this whole idea of return on investment, right? Is if you invest maybe 15 20 minutes is that nap, it gives you greater productivity after that nap as opposed to trying to fight through it um, all the way through. So I find that that is such an interesting implication. If you are a manager listening in on this and you do have a bit of autonomy in how you run your business, hello, um, that you know it respects the nap zone and where it's okay to have that, that, that nap because people have always said the food coma, they've always said the insulin spike, and that, I'm sure, contributes, but it's not the whole story. And so I find that a very interesting thing, mate, that you do at 2 p.m. every day. I'm really going to note that one
1: down. Really, it is. Really it's, uh, you're right. It's not the whole story. And you just talked about management. And before we wrap this up, NASA did a study, and they found a 26-minute nap in the afternoon boosted performance by 34% for its pilots. How about that for a business case with our investment? 34% increase in performance, 26 minutes. Show me a training program that.
0: We just talked about $100 billion being lost. Think about that small, tiny investment of time to get more out of your uh, employees and your colleagues. Like, super interesting implications.
1: Yeah, nuts. Super interesting. That that pretty much uh, wraps us up for this section. Before we go, I thought we could do a quick fire. You give me your three, I'll give you my three, just to remind the listeners of those three awesome implementations we came up with. What were your three again?
0: Sleep regularity. Go to sleep at the same time every single night, keeping it cool, Cool. let your brain drop in terms of temp, and then create your power down routine. Right back at you, mate.
1: Love it, love it. Uh, Mine was respect your chronotype, figure out when you were meant to sleep. If you're meant to sleep in, sleep in. Organize your schedule around it. Uh, set your body clock in the morning go get some light go get some exercise teach your body when it should be awake and teach your brain when it should be awake and my third and last one was respect the nap zone a nana nap in the afternoon could boost your performance by 34% so, That's so tell that to your manager next time they catch you sleeping on the job at 2pm <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and awesome
1: alright we're, we're gonna wrap up there for this week Uh, we're going to finish every one of these with an 80-20 takeaway. So if you could do 20% of what we talked about today to get 80% of the results, what would it be? What would be that 20%? Uh,
0: For me, I would say structure shapes behavior, not the other way around. Every single thing that we've spoken about, you put it in place. And if you put one or two of these things in place, you're more likely to get to sleep, which is, I think, uh, hopefully the big takeaway for listeners here. How about you?
1: I love it. Mine is... uh Uh, sleep routines, night of, and when you wake up, you set your sleep routines, you set yourself up for sleep success. That's it. There's nothing more. That's all we talked about. I love it. That's it. Awesome. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. This is episode one. We threw out a name earlier. I don't know if you remember it. The concept was the brain tools podcast. We're also looking at some other name, uh, the brain gym, the brain shop. We're going to put a couple up online and ask you guys what you think is the best name. love to get some feedback. Uh, We might even have a a bit of a funky giveaway of something interesting if you come up with a cool name for us. Yeah. Um, Looking forward. Next episode is on...
0: Wellbeing. We're going to talk about it given uh, COVID-19, the neuroscience of well-being and how how to take care of yourself.
1: Oh, yeah, spiciest topic, super topical. So looking forward to that one. Stay tuned, subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Bye for me. See you later thanks so much for listening to this episode of brain tools we've got three quick things to hit you with before you go one if you want to hear other brain tools you can find our other episodes at the link below and on all podcasting platforms
0: number two if you like this episode then give us a review on itunes or spotify only if it's above four stars
1: and number three You can go ahead and join the braintools.mn.co community where we'll post a complete brain guide based on this episode, plus a ton of other resources. Best of all, it is completely free. Cannot wait to see you next episode. And until then, bye for now. See you next episode.